All right, it's not, now it started recording. <laughs> Hi, Jen Saffron. Hi, Shelly. And welcome to With Bowl and Spoon, a podcast where we have stimulating conversations with interesting people about a fascinating topic, food. Eating it, loving it, appreciating it, and examining how people's relationship to food has changed over time. Your personal food evolution. I'm your host, Shelley Danko Day. Today, we're listening to my interview with Jen Saffron, owner and operator of Sprezzatore Restaurant, where they cook up heritage Italian cooking in their solar-powered kitchen in Millvale. We talk about soup making, hospitality, pandemic, uh, hospitality during the pandemic, triple bottom line businesses, and Sprezzatura's core value of making affordable, healthy, accessible food options for working people. Hope you enjoy. How are you? Well, you know, we're dealing with post COVID holiday food world beginning 2021 it's... and you know we're starting with cleaning that's always a good thing to do in the new year <laughs> happy right. new year happy new year which is actually a huge part of you know cooking it's cleaning oh for sure I remember when we first got married I don't know if I ever told you about this but I had a little breakdown because it was you know before you get married you'll eat cereal or whatever for dinner whatever you got laying around you know when we first got married we were I was buying groceries bringing them home making dinner cleaning up having to do it all over again it was just like this whole like I was like this is what my life is I'm buying food I'm cooking food I'm cleaning up from food and I just like melted into a puddle and and blubbered on the floor for a minute and I think that's when I started adulting in the kitchen (laughs) right after that Mm-hmm. So you got to take some time off over the holidays? I took a few days off after Christmas. Yeah. Which was necessary. And it is really funny because uh, it's everybody else's holiday. It's also my holiday. So like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think yeah. people expect service workers to stay engaged so that they can have what they want you know but i've always been really impressed yeah. especially um i can't remember which restaurant the guy the guy's like we're out of here for like all of august you know it's like we're not even here you yeah know, um, people did call and they wanted i mean somebody even called and wanted to know if we had dine-in on new year's eve i'm like restaurants are closed i don't know if you're aware like <laughs> what planet are you on? i was like yeah no so yes, you can dine in your home. Yeah, and then people do crazy things like, you know, even though the ordering, you know, the Christmas Eve pickup is in the morning, they want to come at five thirty. 
so that they can pick it up and go home and eat it and they don't have to heat it up or do anything and it's like well we're going to be with our families at 530 we're going to be gone sucks to be you so I mean there is a certain um I do think that COVID has changed sort of what I would call the contract or the way that we interact with uh people um our customers, you know, and I do think that that is, and the way the customers interact with us and expectations and so forth. So I do think that, you know, that's, that's pretty different. So I think that, for example, one of our longtime customers showed up on Christmas Eve and kind of flipped out and it's like, well, you know, yeah, of course you're flipping out because you're trying to have a holiday in the middle of an international pandemic and, you know, (laughs) yeah and it's not the new normal right it it isn't and um well we hope it's not yeah i do think there'll be some permanent changes just like there were after 9 11 with homeland security and so forth i mean i think that's real um i just think that we don't really know what those are yet you know there's a lot that's an interesting question to ask people like what is your your wish of uh, the one, if you could have one thing from this pandemic to last, <laughs> what would it be? <clears throat> I would pick the wearing masks while you have a cold or while you're sick. That's my. In, in Asia, that was always the custom. If you're not yeah. well, you know, the first time I went to Japan in 1997 or eight, everybody was wearing masks that were, weren't feeling well. It was totally normal. Yeah, this is extra interesting for Spetsatura because you guys are, you're just now about a year old, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've been catering since 2016, 2015, 2016. Um, So we're no stranger to like cooking and events and so forth. But I mean, our cafe just opened November 30th, 2019. So, you know, we had Christmas and then of course January is really slow. And then we had February and part of March and that was it. And we were just hitting our stride. We were selling out of all of our dinners and events and things we were offering and gaining a little following. But I think there's so much to be learned from situations like this and you know, who are your allies and who do you ally with? And it's interesting, like I find myself working with other food purveyors and more closely with our farmers and more closely with uh, other kinds of service people, like even bars, because we're not a bar and we don't have a liquor license, we don't serve alcohol. So partnering with them to service their food mission, um, it's been a really, I think a really fruitful time in a lot of ways, not so much financially, but in terms of you know partnerships and community goodwill and really focusing on making better food. When, you, when we opened, we had a really limited menu and we did that on purpose to see what would happen. We only had like 10 or 11 things on the menu. And I really liked that, by the way. I didn't have to have too many choices. Right. Menus right. <laughs> that are too big because it's just huge. It's, it's hard to make a decision and you want to try everything. So right. with your menu, you actually, I, can, I actually can try everything. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other weird thing is like when I go to a restaurant and I see these gargantuan menus, I get really suspicious. Like mm-hmm. what corners are they cutting to be able to offer this many things like yeah how, how are you able to do all of that well yeah i don't really know 
And how do they shop? How do they like stock up on stuff and keep everything fresh? Well, we don't even have a walk-in. I mean, we're a very small operation. So we want to keep things as fresh as possible. We have one, you know, literally we have a, a double reach-in and a single reach-in and that's it. So we want to have things be fresh for people and- Oh, no, for sure. You guys do. And that's, you can do that even better when you have a small menu, for that's sure. Right. Well, I mean, one of the things that I am really impressed by, I know the, the pandemic and, you know, everybody had to pivot, but I think you guys pivoted super duper well. And it's probably because of your, your background with the catering stuff, but, you know, having, keeping that storefront and, and being able to keep your employees engaged and, and employed um, was huge. And I really, I was super impressed. You want to talk about how that happened? Well, I think that it's really important to know that we have a triple bottom line, which is people, profit, and planet. And that's how we feel about our business. So when the pandemic first happened, I thought to myself, wow, you know, a few things I thought. One is, yeah, we could close, but like, what good would that do? We wouldn't, we would, we would lose our customers. I mean, everybody was like, oh, you could close and then just reopen. And I'm like, no, it doesn't really work like that. You know, your customer needs to be engaged with your product and who you are as a person and the quality of what we're providing, you know, on a regular basis. It's not like they would go away and then one day come back. I mean, that's really, really ridiculous to think that that's reality. The other thing is, you know, we take great pride in employing people who actually need jobs and, you know, our backgrounds are, we didn't go to culinary. We're not culinary people. We're heritage cooks. We come from our ethnic backgrounds and that's what we bring forward, which we feel is a really unique product that we offer is our authenticity and our commitment to quality like that. And so I thought, well, you know what? Let's cook even more interesting foods. And, you know, we, we gave it a go. I mean, certainly in the beginning, there were a bunch of tears when, you know, in like a matter of four days, we lost about $50,000 in catering contracts. You know, that's, that's enough to like give you the hives. But you know what? The saying that I believe in is when the going gets tough, the tough get going. You know, what kind of creativity? We're all working artists. We're all heritage cooks. We have deep interesting recipes that are not offered anywhere else in the city of Pittsburgh. We are creative people just naturally. How can we creatively address this problem? And so we began to cook smarter. We did get a small amount of funding, um, a little PPP loan. And then also we received a vibrancy grant through New Sun Rising who owns the building where we cook. And we were able to use that $4,000 to make meals for people who needed them. So we made meals every week for the Boys and Girls Club share table. And we began to build our community partnerships. Like during times of crisis, um, the answer is not to close your doors. The answer is to open your doors wider and to be a better uh, service person to the community and look at where is the community need and fill that need. I mean, I think food in particular is something that everyone deserves and not just like, you know, handouts, but like good food. And we were super proud to partner with Sharpsburg, Aetna and Millville 
to make um, meals for people early on in the pandemic um, from March through August. We had regular contracts and we cooked wow. over, over 2,500 meals <laughs> and um, delivered them to people, elderly people who lived in high rises that couldn't get out. Um, people who stood in line in Sharpsburg outside of their uh, family center there. Um, at, at the ball field in Etna, um, at the share table outside of uh, the church in Millville, and just kept wow. believing that, you know, we keep cooking, you know, that's what we're here to do. So I would say that that was a real guiding light for us early on, and it still is. We've, we come from community service backgrounds. Mike Manello cooked for a homeless shelter for years. I've cooked meals regularly for the homeless for 17 years. Um, and so for, for our core values of hospitality and receiving people and being generous and caring, um, you know, just what brings us through this pandemic is staying true to those core values. That's what we're here to do. We're not, we're not here to make fancy food and make shitloads of money and, you know, go party on a boat with, you know, the other owners of our restaurant. That's not what we do. You know, we're, I'm a single mom, I'm a woman, I own this business outright, and we're here to show people that regular working people can make a difference um, through good food and making things that are affordable, healthy, accessible, um, that bring a generous table. Whenever people are here, it's super fun. We do miss people being in the cafe. It's really yeah. weird to look out at sort of like, you know, empty tables. But I mean, just suffice to say, I think that sticking true to our core values, committing ourselves to making even better food, um, networking and building our partnerships and our community goodwill has all helped us continue on. And the creativity, I think, is really a key part of that because I, I didn't realize all the, the um, charitable work that you had done through all this, which is great. I was just impressed with the way your retail operation or your, your yeah, it's retail, it shifted yeah. and how you like you just were like okay people can't come in here anymore pivot this is what we're gonna do and yep. you sort of like kind of just went forward like you just you turned the freaking titanic and just kept plowing ahead it was brilliant. <laughs> well i mean march 15th was the last thing we had here and it was really kind of dicey i mean there were some yeah. guests that didn't come you know and wanted a refund and we were like no problem but we had scheduled an Italian dinner and it, with a sommelier and it was really delicious. And then um, promptly closed because we wanted to wait and we decided we would reopen the 19th. So the 15th we closed and then the 19th we agreed to ourselves that we would open for takeout only. Oh, wow. And then, so I took the 16th and placed all of my orders for to-go materials. So one of the things that we didn't know anything about were what, how does the food we make actually travel? What yeah. do we put it in? Um, what's economical for us? Do we have to raise our prices, which we had to, um, which we didn't want to do. Do we come up with new things we want to cook? Um, what do we want to do? And so that's what I did the 16th. And then the 17th, I jumped in the car and I drove to Ithaca, New York and picked up my son who goes to college and then turned right around and drove back. And then the 18th, we set up the to-go station and the 19th, we opened. So it's like, wow. that's what we did. So it's like, 
I do think that um, people always sort of pride themselves on thinking about how hard restaurant work is. It's so hard, you know? Yeah, it's hard, so what? You know, we're sta we stand up a lot, we work hard. That's a part of, that's just a part of the trade. We don't need to wear that like a badge. What we do need to do is be diligent and care about each other and um, know, know that we can rely on our own you know, strength. And that's what we decided to do. So on the, you know, when I knew this was coming down, like on the, I guess about maybe the 13th or 14th, I made a phone call to um, Jen McNulty, who I trust very much to help us with our brand. And she helped us with, you know, all kinds of like language and, you know, signage. And then suddenly we had to develop an online menu, which we'd never done before. We didn't know what the process would be. Are people going to call us? Like, how are we going to do this? Jalapeno meatballs. Oh, right. And then we had right, <laughs> we had other weird things happen, like Grubhub putting up a fake page. You know, you know, it's been challenging, but you know, whatever. We just keep going one day at a time, you know. We have goals, you know, we're just like any other business. We have some goals. We have a budget. We work hard on, you know, keeping things lean and mean. But I will say the biggest challenge really was like trying to figure out to go products. I just don't know anything about that. I mean, even still, I'm looking at containers and, you know, I met with people who wanted to sell me containers. It was so yeah. weird. They were like, yeah, three different people came in. Oh, I heard you. Well, how about these containers? And they were like $8 million a container. And I was like, yeah, we can't. <laughs> well, Rebecca from uh, Sustainable Pittsburgh, she does the sustain sustainable restaurants. She has uh, a lot of knowledge about that. She does. And She'll need some advice. We've reached out to them oh, and okay. we are a sustainable restaurant. So one of the things we didn't like was suddenly we went from like a much greener establishment to, you know, okay, how much like garbage are we producing here? Yeah. You know, I don't like that, Shelly. Like, and sending it out to all ends of the city. Yeah. And what hmm. kind of message do we want to create around that? Like, do we want to remind people, hey, this is a compostable container that you're eating your cheesecake out of? You know, know, it's it's such a tricky thing, though, because even the compostable ones, like, can you compost? Do you compost? Do you have a place to compost? Can you shred this if it needs to be shredded? Like, there are so many other intricacies that whole uh, field. We're still trying to wrap our heads around it and figure out the best way to do that. I mean, I, I believe I believe in the compost. They compost materials. I bring them home. I compost them. But we need a larger strategy for that. I mean, we do. And I think that Again, going back to my earlier comment about how COVID has really changed the contract between us and our consumers and our customers. And, you know, it's uh, it's hard to educate people when they're, that's not what they want. What they want is a piece of lasagna. That's what they want. They don't want to listen to me talk about how this piece of lasagna was produced in a solar powered kitchen, even though that's true. You know, <laughs> I mean, I don't give a shit about that. They just know that it's really good and they want to eat it. And so, I mean, even like Christmas Eve, there was a woman who called me and she's like, I want to know if you can cater. I'm having 45 people over. And I'm thinking to myself, are you effing kidding me? Why are you having 45 people over? <laughs> she's such a nice person. I really enjoyed talking to her. And I like talking to her and she kept telling me how cute I am. And I'm like, that's not really an adjective that I would use to describe me, but that's okay. You want to call me cute? Okay. And but the thing I couldn't figure out is like, I mean, there has been, there have been ethical uh, confrontations because of COVID, right? It's not just about masks. Yeah. 
it's it's far more than that it's like one woman wanted to have her mom's 90th birthday party in our cafe and this was you know remember in november when everybody opened for like a day right and then suddenly yeah. government was like what a terrible idea and it was a terrible <laughs> idea and you know she said you know the saturday following thanksgiving we'd like to have a 90th birthday party for your mom and i said you know what i'd like to have a birthday party for your mom too but i'd like your mom to be alive for 91 or you know yeah. you know so and she was sort of quiet and mm. i was like she's like my mom really loves italian food i said you know what? i i get that but we cannot have 27 people in our dining room yeah i can do lots of other things for you and i guess that's the part where it's been really hard it's like do i you know turning down business isn't really fun you know saying no to yeah you know not in it not in when it's like this right but for the health and safety of, of myself, my employees, my kids, whoever, you know, yeah. We can't just do whatever we want. I mean, not right now. Yeah. And so how can we continue to serve great food, take care of everybody in the process, be good to the planet, continue our composting contract, continue supporting local farms, continue supporting organic. And, you know, while keeping people employed, while serving, you know, it's, it's like a little puzzle. Yeah. Some of the farmers. And, and too, you're creative. So I, I do want to say though, that you have such a broad background in, in or your, of your working life. Um, communication strategist, you were a writer, you were in yeah. the arts, the Pitt Arts was your program that you started. You were the founder of that. So you have a really like rich background of all kinds of things. So that's where your creativity um, was, you know, you used it there and now you're using it in this, but food has always been a part of your life. Well, besides we all eat, but you're Italian. So yeah. <laughs> from a big Italian family. So um, you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I grew up uh, eating really well. My mom is an amazing cook. Um, when I went to college at Carnegie Mellon, I, Carnegie Mellon was still um, almost three to one male to female and when I went there. And so it was like the main place to eat was the cafeteria and it was very much geared towards boys. Hmm. And I remember going in line and the guy ahead of me ordered nine eggs, right? I was totally horrified. I was like, what? who the hell eats nine eggs? That's so gross. I remember... <laughs> Um, for the first time in my life, I remember looking at the uh, food and um, not recognizing what it was. Like I didn't even recognize Whoa. it as food. Like, so I was like, okay, is that meat? <laughs> like, what is that? And I was so confused, you know, I grew up eating, my mother had three refrigerators. Whoa. First refrigerator was just regular old, the one in the kitchen. And that was like the one that we ate out of, right? And then there was a refrigerator next to the washer dryer in the utility room. And that refrigerator was absolutely filled. The freezer was stocked with, my mother would buy and freeze loaves of bread, cartons of half gallons of milk, meat. All of that was in the freezer. And then in the fridge beneath it, 
she had taken out most of the racks and it was filled with pots of broth, nice. you know, like brodo and sauce and soup. Still in the pots though. Yeah, in the pots and meatballs. And she would just go there and grab a pot, put it on and then bam, we'd have, you know, chickpea diddleini soup. That's kind of brilliant. Soup. Like don't bother putting it in the jars and then you have to put the jars, dump them yeah. into the pot. You just have it in the pot already. In the pot. And That's fantastic. And I just thought everybody ate like this until I went to college. And then I was very um, upset. And I ate salad bar, baked potatoes, and chili for like four months. And then I went home. <laughs> and I was an athlete. I played on the hockey team. And so I lost like 15 pounds. And so my mother was horrified. She was like, what has happened to my daughter? And that's when I realized I need to start cooking for myself because I'm not going to eat all this yucky, overbaked, yeah. you know, Virginia soul with a lemon wedge on top. I'm not eating that. So I, just started. so I started cooking myself because growing up, I was not encouraged to cook much. My mom was in control at all times. Mm. And my jobs were things like snapping green beans or, you know, my mom didn't like stir standing at the stove and stirring gravy at Thanksgiving. I mean, very specific things I was allowed to do. And then we had never, we never ever ate mashed potatoes except for Thanksgiving, ever. I, ne I never ate a Brussels sprout until I was an adult. You know, Did we ate-, ate potatoes in other forms or just no potatoes? We ate mostly baked potatoes, but I mean, okay. we grew up in an Italian American household. So we ate lentils all the time and, you know, fish and meatballs. And my mom made homemade pasta all the time and it was like totally normal. and. I thought everybody in the world ate things like this. Yeah. And then I realized, well, I can make it my own way. And, you know, I do cook differently than my mom. Um, there are things that I really like to make them in the way that my mom makes them. Like the minestrone soup we make is absolutely the way my mom would make it. Or beef escarole lasagna is absolutely the way my mom would make it. And these are super traditional things. But then there are other things like, you know, our lasagna is a roasted vegetable lasagna. It's a veg vegetarian entree. And that's something that we made up ourselves, you know? And so a lot of our recipes are ours, um, even our biscotti, a lot of which, you know, it just rips off of, you know, you're not gonna be able to buy a double dark chocolate, walnut, cayenne, espresso biscotti, but we'll make it just for fun, you know? Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Mm -hmm. well, the first year I was in school, I mostly just ate salads and, you know, stuff like that, yogurts and stuff that wouldn't kill me. And then I sort of graduated to things that a lot of college students want to learn how to make, like making beans from scratch and, you know, from dry bean to beans and rice or making soups making meatballs for sure. I've always made meatballs. I mean, I, I take a little pole and um, just, you know, roughly, but I'm going to guess that that's not really what most students are looking to cook is beans from scratch. No, <laughs> most that's students I think they're like taking shortcuts. They're looking like, how can I make this ramen a little more exciting? <laughs> <laughs> I certainly ate a lot of ramen. That's too. fantastic. 
the, the, the beans from scratch. I don't think I tried beans from from dried beans until like after I was married for sure. It just wasn't a thing. Yeah, my food evolution was a little slow in in on that on the cooking part. It's funny the way we have stereotypes about food too, like this woman came up to meet the farmer's market on Saturday and she was like, you know, I read that your vegetable lasagna was your number one bestseller. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what she said to me. <laughs> she said, and then I ate it and it was so good. And I was like, yeah, the people like that. But you don't think like, oh yeah, lasagna, whatever. Some sloppy ricotta thing, but it doesn't have to be that way. You take good care and make things with care and the ricotta thing can taste really good. <laughs> I've uh, definitely made that before. Yeah. But no, your your food is really amazing. I remember we had that um that soup. It was like lemony and it had little meatballs in it and it had I mean I had I think two bowls of that soup when we were in there. It was amazing. We do make a lot of soup. We make a lot. At Winter Market at this past Saturday, we sold 78 quarts of soup. We sell and make a lot. We make maybe seven or eight kinds on a regular basis and then a total of probably 20 different kinds. But soup was our thing growing up. So in Italian land, you know, you usually begin your meal with either pasta, risotto, or a bowl of soup. And in my family, it was a bowl of soup. So we always grew up eating very healthy, you know, yummy, electrolyte-filled, delicious, homemade, yummy goodness, you know. First time I asked my mom, mom, how do you make chicken broth? I emailed her. I was like, we weren't living in the same town. I emailed her, mommy, how do you do this? And she sent me this, you know, you think it'd be some simple thing. Take a chicken, put it in a bath. No, it was this long explanation. <laughs> it's like a one-page email, how to select the chicken, you know where to put the vegetables in the pot in relation to the chicken. Oh shit, there's an order? I don't know, according to her. I mean, it was like pretty, I don't always do it that way, but it was pretty wild. And I was so like- Do you put the whole chicken in the pot to make the stock? I usually like roast the chicken. Yeah, yeah, you can. You can do whatever you want. But according to my mom, it's a very lengthy, intense process. I think, you know, mostly what we do is roast chickens, eat a lot of the chicken and then throw mm -hmm. that in with a bunch of vegetables and- yeah. I learned from you to roast the bones. Yeah, you should, if you can. You don't have to, but you, it's good to do it. Well, I, I did that. I had a, um, I bought a 22 pound turkey from Shelly <laughs> Oswald's at Old Time Farms. Um, but yeah, so we got this like giant turkey and I had to cut it up to just to be able to roast it. <laughs> it was delicious. And I've, I've done two batches of stock now um, because it wouldn't all fit in one pot. Plus, yeah, I figured it would get enough goodness out of it. So I get like eight quarts per batch. But Yum. I just throw anything I find like, oh, that looks like that's a little wrinkled radish. Throw that in there. And this parsnip's all dried out. And Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think of soup making it in several stages. So you make your stock, you chill and skim your stock, and then you make your sofrito, and then you add your base. So whatever it is that the soup really is made out of, then you add your broth, then you cook it slowly and then you finish it. And that is the part where all the really good flavor gets highlighted. Like how do you finish the soup with what kind of cheese, scallions, parsley, herbs, salt, 
you know, how are you making it really sing in the end, I think is always the best part of soup. We take a lot of care in making our soup. Um, I always get kind of sad in March when it's really sudden, actually, like really suddenly one day people stop eating soup in March. It's just like, we're done. We're done ordering. You know, it's usually sometime the first week of March, everybody's sort of done eating soup. We take it off the menu and that's it. It was really funny. We were like, well, what if, what if people don't want a quart? What if they want a pint? And they were like, nope, too Cute. bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, that's one of the things that I love about, about your operations and, and the way that you have been functioning like prior to and now is that it's, it's very simple. It's very straightforward. It's very, it's like to be like an insult, but it's like big blocks. And I, I can understand the big blocks sure. to put them together. It's not, there's no like weird details that I have to try and figure out. It's very basic and this is what you get or you don't, it's fine. Well, that's what spritzatura really is all about. I mean, the whole term spritzatura means it's like studied, studied casualness, you know, and that's what it is. So we've taken a lot of thought into that. And then the whole idea is that we can be easy about it doesn't have to be so intense and complicated and it is funny sometimes like one woman came in she was so strange she was like could not get over that we did not have chicken on top of our salad that we wouldn't put chicken on top of salad and I was like you know we we don't do that I mean we do it in the fall we'll roast chicken and put it on top of it but you know she means like the sort of like chicken, French fry, cheddar cheese salad thing that is so oh. productive in Pittsburgh. I was like, yeah, we just don't. You don't have the it. Pittsburgh dish? Mm -hmm. We also don't serve any other dressing than the salad dressing that we make. It's what like, is that? It's, it's, well, in the winter and in the fall, it's like a Dijon vinaigrette. And then in the, in the summer, we often make it more of a lemon vinaigrette. Nice. But it's like lemon Dijon. And then that's it. And one day somebody came in and they wanted ranch. And this was right when we first opened. And I was so floored by this. I didn't know what to do. And I sent Jacob out the back door. I said, run down to Family Dollar with his $5 and go get us a bottle of ranch. And he ran down. <laughs> I was like, I have no freaking idea what I'm doing. And he came back and I was like, this is so inauthentic to me. I just will never do this again. I'm only doing this because I don't know what I'm doing because I've never had a restaurant before. And I gave the person ranch and then we promptly threw out the bottle and I was like, we will never do that again. That's so inauthentic. I just can't do it. We're not doing yeah. it. You kind of feel like at some point you have to accommodate the customer, but then again, is that person your customer? Maybe not. It's possible they're not. I do think that we we are who we are, you know, we've already had 25 year careers. We don't need to, you know, we're doing this because we love it and we want other people to enjoy it too. I will say we have very loving customers. Um, one of the first things I said when COVID started was I told the staff, you can't hug the customers. I can't tell you how many customers hug us. Yeah. Um, customers bring us homemade bottles of wine. Customers oh, tell us their life stories. Um, customers, they come and celebrate their their birthdays, you know, with us, it's, it's really intimate, you know, to share a table with somebody. Um, and that was the first thing I was, and when I said that they were like, what? And I was like, you can't touch people. We're in a pandemic now. <laughs> and they were like, oh my God. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of serious. Um, that's yeah. Kinda, 
hoping one day we'll get back to being a big giant family again. Yeah. So that that makes me think of another question. Like it's it's all about the the closeness and the hospitality, and and how are you able to present hospitality and and give your customers that sense of hospitality without being able to have that closeness? I think what people want more than anything is authenticity. I really believe that. And that's a core, core, core value of who we are. We don't make food that we wouldn't eat ourselves. We don't pander. And we also make ourselves really available. So if somebody calls me and they place an order and it seems like the menu maybe doesn't hang right together. I don't have any problem saying to somebody, you know what, you might want to think about not eating the one thing and perhaps eating this other thing, which I think would go better with that. And most of the time people are like, oh my God, I'm so glad you said that. Or if somebody calls and you can tell they're having a shitty day or having a tough time, it doesn't hurt to give somebody some biscotti, you know? I mean, it's not gonna hurt me you know, <laughs> to give somebody, you know? I think the way to bring that kind of hospitality during this crazy time when we don't hug people and we bring things to people's cars with the trunks open and that kind of thing is to, is to just be loving, you know? to smile at people, to say thank you, to be extra. So you stand back 20 feet, take your mask off and smile and wave. Yeah, we do it to right. also take ourselves lightly. It's really challenging. I'm not kidding to say that there have been times during this past year where I've been really, really sad and scared and whatever, but I don't lead from that, you know, lead from a place of lightness and, you know, make customers laugh you know, make fun of ourselves. Um, we do that all the time. Stand out on the awning, I mean, under the moose awning and just wave. <laughs> Give people the peace sign, you know? I think these are all ways, Ask, show care. You know, we know our customers' names, ask them how they're doing. People are alone right now in their homes, they're isolated asking people, how are you holding up? Is there anything that you need? Would you like us to deliver this food to you? Don't tell anybody we do that. Do you want it? <laughs> you know, what can we do to help you? You know, the other day a woman called and ordered something and we were closed or she placed an order and I'd forgotten to shut the menu off and she placed an order and we were closed. And I, oh, she yeah. put her phone, she put her phone number in incorrectly. And I was like, oh no, what do I do? I want to go home, but I can't, I can't, someone's <laughs> going to come and nobody's going to be here. And that's going to be terrible. So I waited and I thought, well, we don't have the one thing she ordered, but we have this other stuff. So she calls to say, I'm here to pick up my order. And I say, hi, I'm really sorry. You know, we're closed. She was like, oh no, I didn't know that. I said, I know, but uh, what about this other thing? Would you like it? And she was like, sure. And then on the phone, you know, when you're really real with people, they'll be real with you. And on the phone, she breaks down crying and tells me that her husband just died. Oh no. I know. And I was like, can you imagine if I wasn't there? And so I thought to myself, you know what? We don't know what people are going through. And so I just brought her the thing and, you know, gave her a refund because it's easy, right? It's easy yeah. to say, you need this piece of lasagna. I don't need your $13. You're suffering. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. People need help. Like yeah. 
that's what hospitality is all about. Like, why do we go to dinner? We want to be relaxed. We want to have people take care of us. That's what going to dinner is all about. We want to have somebody else do it for us. We want to treat ourselves. We want to chill out. They want, they need kindness and you provided yeah. kindness. That's, that's really nice. Mm -hmm. I love that story. Yeah. And I think if we just do that all the time, you know, we can't give away everything, but you know, <laughs> we will be here, but you know, take the time to recognize where somebody else is at. Um, sometimes it can be difficult. Like on Christmas Eve, somebody was, somebody yelled at one of our staff members because she felt that it was taking too long to bring her stuff to her car. And I, I personally didn't think it was taking too long to bring stuff to her car, but I thought to myself, you know what? It's COVID. People are trying to have a Christmas. She's probably freaking out. You know, I'm going to let that go. And then I'll call her a couple weeks later. And I did, I called her two days ago. And I was like, hey, it's me. I just want you to know you're a valued customer and I'm really sorry you had a tough time. And is there anything we can do for you? Give me a call. I don't care if she calls me or not. I, I just want her to know we paid attention to that moment. We care about her. And clearly she was going through something. Yeah. Usually biscotti will help fix that, but <laughs> I don't know. You know, piece of cheesecake. <laughs> this will make it all better, honey. What is your next move if we get out of this pandemic and things go back to normal, whatever that is? Well, we are in a building that is under development. So we are in the former Moose Lodge in Millvale and it's a model for sustainability. It's a solar powered building with the DC micro grid in the basement. And we are in the process, despite the pandemic, of working on developing the downstairs so that we have space to have a catering kitchen and a walk-in refrigerator and a walk-in dry storage. So, you know, we're planning um, for the reality that people are going to continue to eat our food. Um, since COVID started, we've gone from never even having a newsletter to having 700 people on a newsletter and, you know, selling out of all of our food at the farmer's market. And 40% of the people who've eaten here this past year are brand new customers. And so we see um, you know, and knowing that the restaurant industry is still very tough, um, we feel there's a lot of opportunity that we want to develop our outdoor eating area into a beautiful garden. Um, we want to finish the room downstairs to have a little private party room. We're going to develop our catering kitchen. I'm driving by a truck that I saw for sale recently. Maybe we'll have a food truck, but we're going to continue to bring food to people. I do think the future is outside. I do think that restaurants need to do a better job of bringing food to people. We don't deliver, for example. Uh -huh. um, maybe that's something, you know, I've thought about it, but uh, the logistics of that kind of make my skin crawl. And I do have staff that don't have their driver's license. So, you know, maybe we won't do that. But I do think that um, cultivating our garden is the way that I'm going to say it. That's what we're going to do in 2021. That's great. That's really awesome. Yeah, I, I hope that there's more outdoors too. I know it's tough in Pittsburgh. My folks moved down to Florida because they wanted to be outdoors more. But I, I'm outdoors almost every day, at least even during this quarantine. And you know, you came over. We had a fire pit. It was lovely. And there's distancing, and I'll have to do that again. I was thinking. I had an idea. You should. It, it, are there any businesses that have like, you know, like the food trucks? And then they have the beer trucks. Are there wine trucks? You know, I'd go to a wine truck. <laughs> I, well, I'm saying like, you know how 
they have food trucks come to breweries to have the food available there. If you could have a wine truck come to you. Writing it down, wine truck. See, we have a wine truck. Maybe that's my next thing. Although I've been thinking about pierogies. Like there's there's only like two places in Pittsburgh to make pierogies. What is up with that? The church ladies on the south side, pierogies plus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Stop. <laughs> Right. And then there's there's the well anyway we could go on a pierogi rant at another time but thank you so much for talking with me and being on my podcast thank you thank you any anything else you'd like to say or follow us and like us on uh, Twitter Facebook and Instagram at Spretzatura PGH you can join our newsletter we send it out on generally on Tuesdays this week we're sending it out tomorrow morning and um, check our website at www.spretzaturapgh.com for our dinner specials, our Sunday suppers, and our events. With Bowl and Spoon is hosted, produced, and mixed by me, Shelley Danko Day. Original theme song was written and performed by Paula Breeze and Friends. And a special thanks goes out to Jen Saffron for taking the time to talk with me and also for making amazing food. I'd also like to thank the folks that leave me messages on my site and uh, wanted to let you know that we'll have a website coming out soon so we'll be able to send you direct email notifications of new episodes very soon. You can listen to With Bowl and Spoon on Anchor, Pocket Cast, Spotify, Radio Public, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and now on Apple Podcasts. Follow us and send us questions or messages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at With Bowl and Spoon. Thanks for listening.